<laughs> this is the audio podcast episode 86 notation is king and i scott hewitt have returned this week i'm joined by those safe set of hands you were in last week and um, that would be me samuel freeman and adam yanch <laughs> so and, should we get straight into the we- news we should, but we should say that this is episode 86 of the audio podcast, and what's the title of the show? Notation, Notation is King. Is King, yes. And the show notes are available at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 86. Hooray. So, um, so in the news, uh, first of all, um, something I couldn't resist putting in here, but on the BBC News website this evening, they had a great article which was about pop music failing. <laughs> but failing what? Only, failing who? The, the the problem is that on the show notes, the, oh, there is a link there. Oh, I didn't see the link. You see, and I, I just read the the quote. So, so the quote is um, the uh, Alan Davies, chief executive of Arts Council England, says the market in in popular music is failing, and the industry is guilty of a short termism. Oh. Who knew? Uh, well, I certainly couldn't see that one coming. No way. So, if, if you follow the show notes through, I think it's appropriate for me to declare a uh, a momentary uh, conflict of conflict of interest, but not really a conflict of interest, but more more something you know to just mention, which is that the the article is actually about the Arts Council is using lottery funding to sponsor to establish something called the Momentum Music Fund. Which mm-hmm. is actually a PRS for Music Foundation collaboration, collaborative project. So, I've, I've, I, I have been supported by the PRS for Music Foundation at some point in the past. Ooh. So, I should just say that out loud. Yep, okay. anyone who's working with live music in the UK, if you're putting on shows or anything like that, then the, that's a place to look for such things. Yeah, it's available to everyone. Yep. <clears throat> so, anyway, back, back to the story. Sorry. <laughs> so, what's the uh, what's the significance here? So the, the the purpose is to say that the it, the music industry is struggling to create new acts or at least new British acts. So, as a consequence, there's been half a million pounds put aside for the next two years deliberately to foster new new talent who might normally be ignored by the kind of typical kind of you know label kind of recruitment procedures and things like that. Hmm. Oh, okay. You don't look very impressed, Adam. No, well, you know, there's music out there, there's good music out there, and, you know, just go and find it. That's what I say. Awesome stuff. That's cool. Wise words from the Adam Yanch. The, the, there was a great quote at the very end of the article, which I loved. Um, I, I like to invent my own categories for things, things on the show, so I think this is the possibly one of the least meaningful quotes we're going to have for the entire show here, but the record industry says that the portion of revenue it spends on new acts is greater than sp- that spent on research and development by the pharmaceutical or IT industries. Is that even true? Goodness knows. That can't be true. You're no agreeing. way. It's on the BBC News website there, Sam. Sam? Adam? <laughs> <clears throat> well, well I'd, I'll say, yeah... And I will then push us onto a an actually audio podcast proper subject, which is going back actually several uh, several episodes to when we had the dudes from MuseScore on. 
And this is a... Did, we did have the dudes from Muse Score on, didn't we? Yes, yeah. we did, yes. <clears throat> okay, good, because I remember it, and I didn't know if I was just falling into a great big gaping hole there. Um, uh, basically, they're going to participate in the Google Summer of Code, which I guess is really good news. Yeah, so Google are paying for two two people to work as kind of interns and students as part of the MuseScore project. Uh, one, one of them is going to be working on MIDI import, while the other one is going to be working on a combination of MuseScore and EM scripting. The idea being that you'll be able to render MuseScore, use the MuseScore layout and rendering engine inside the browser without any plugins. So you'll be able to natively put together notation into a browser window. Ah. Which I thought was really cool. Oh, well, I mean, it's cool, apart from, what, there must be about 20 people out there in the world who'd need it? <laughs> maybe, I don't know, you know. Everything's going to be through the browser one day, maybe, but that isn't an audio podcast topic. Well, I'm not talking more, I'm talking more about the original medium being, no, I mean, it doesn't really matter. So it's going to happen, basically, it's going to happen, so, uh, so yeah. Great. And we like MuseScore. MuseScore is a cool thing. They've quietly kind of iterated away since we since we talked to the guys in the kind of Sibelius at the when the Sibelius kind of incidents happened. Now I, I think it's good that they're carrying on. Now Scott, I haven't used MuseScore, um, and and I wanted to know what if you'd used it and what you thought of the fonts of MuseScore. MuseScore. Very nice link there. Um, <clears throat> well, well, go on and answer this question then, Scott. There's a question there. I've, I've used MuseScore a couple of times, but for those uh, diehard followers of Scott will know that I'm a, I'm a big uh, Lillipond fan. I'm into ASCII. ASCII. <clears throat> but Sam, I think you were heading somewhere else with that. Well, yes, indeed. This links into the next story in the notes, which is um, a links to a blog from Steinberg and they've been at the music encoding conference this week and have introduced a new font, the Bravura font. Oh, the music encoding conference. Oh yeah. That's amazing. Do you think there's another one as well, like a competitor? <laughs> what a music association of music encoders. Muse Enconf or something like that. Uh, brilliant. So, anyway, so this is a new font for uh, for use within Steinberg Steinberg products. Yes, but it's actually cooler than that. Oh. So, what what's going on is that there's um, Daniel Speedbury, who who works for Steinberg, has been. It, this has been kind of as a response to the Sibelius stuff, and I don't think you guys did that story very well last week, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> well, maybe someone should have actually come and been on the show. <laughs> but, Bang. <laughs> But the point he was making is that if you want to be able to build cross-platform, if you want to be able to build cross-application notation tools that you can use in different things and share them between them, then part of that is going to need a kind of set of standardized fonts so that you can load up, time, you know, in the same way that we load up Times New Roman and it looks the same on whatever, you know, word processor you choose to use, we need a similar kind of set of things as well. So this, uh, brother, is the, the first of the first of a set of fonts he's building which are part of the which are compliant with the standard music font layout mm. and the idea is that this is an open standard and you can do anything you want with this other than sell it as a font so you can use it in anything you want to with no restrictions as long as you don't sell it as a font and the idea being that this could be the first this could be the typeset you know the actual like notation font that you use 
that everybody could adopt to use and therefore we'd have one part of this kind of interoperability between notation and scoring platforms put together. However, Steinberg is the only person who actually supports this in any way. Well, if they've only just released it, that's kind of fair enough. But as an open standard, other people may choose to take it on. Oh, no, no, Steinberg are the only people who support the standard music font layout as an idea okay. amongst the main competitors. So you, you can't actually use this font in Finale or Sibelius right now. So it's a bit like MLAN in a way. Yes. Is that the first time we've ever mentioned MLAN on the show? I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we don't index every word we say. Yeah, but MLAN is like uh-uh. this uh, incredibly obscure but also very interesting thing that just never took off. And that was probably going to be awesome, but we just we just don't know. I think Yamaha still do some MLAN stuff. I'm not sure. And also, also I've got... I've got a, a nice I little bit of. Away that quickly, I, I think our listeners would love to hear a brief, uh, brief history of Emlan from you there. Uh, well, I, I don't have all the details to hand, <laughs> but also I was just going to give you guys a, a little, uh, a little fact snippet, which is uh, tangent away from this music font, which is called Bravura. That same name uh, is also used in the game. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas for one of the car models that uh, just drives around. And, and you can, uh, you know, go and drive the car. You drive the car and use the music font, and you've got a lovely connection between two completely disconnected worlds. That's, and when you talk about cars, I, I went to see uh, the Fast, uh, Fast and the Furious 6 at the cinema on Sunday night, which was really awesome. And that was full of loads and loads and loads of V-plus power, Sam. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that. <clears throat> and, um, Do you mean V8 power? <laughs> I, I just wanted to um, say smuffle, actually, because the standard music font layout abbreviates to SM, little U, FL. So smuffle. The, the, the opportunity to say smuffle was, um, is where I'm going. And if you want to talk about dodgy films and try and link it into the next film, the next story, that's fine. But. I'm just going to go with vocoders instead because that's what the next thing is. It's a new VST instrument from. Oh, yeah, but how do you say that? Sills. 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 Yeah. XILS. XILS. V. It's the V. Combining 10 vintage band vocoders, supreme top octave divider, bass strings, and human voices, blah, 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 from the blurb. Yeah. It's on offer right now until the 30th of June and. Yeah, I was going to try it out today, but um, there's two demo versions you can get. One of which is a lim- is a um, is a feature limited version that you can just download and run. And there's also a time limited version if you have an e-licenser or iLock dongle. And I thought I'd be able to use that because I have the software dongle e-licenser thing with Steinberg stuff on it. Um, but no, you need an actual physical USB. Uh. Okay. E-license ah. a thing, so so I haven't had a play with it. Otherwise, we might have had an extra little thing at this point in the show. But no, <sighs> little it's still review. A cool special offer, though. It is, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll have a play with it in the week. Who knows? You, yeah, you, I'm saying you feature can find the, you, you can find the link out to the to the download and the special offer, and you know the link to all of our stories at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. With that, a Moog Moog pack on offer. Another special offer. Wow. From Atoria. It is. This was um, put on special offer um, 
on the 23rd, which was the, or would have been, the 79th birthday of Dr. Bob Moog. And this is a pack of stuff from Maturia. So it's two of their Moog-related instruments, the Mini Moog V and the Moog Modular V. I mean, should you say V or is it five? I don't know. Um, is it V for virtual or is it? I don't know. Yeah, it's V. Go it's V. v. Yeah. Um, there's also a DVD and a book and a button slash badge in the box. And the profits from this thing to go to the Bob Moog Foundation. Moog. Cool, cool. Yep. Awesome stuff. And uh, quite, uh, quite all, all out of a sudden, we've, uh, all out of a sudden, all out of nowhere, all of a sudden, uh, we come to the end of the news. Oh. Uh, it's plunder time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I thought this was a great article. It probably it did the right. It was it's a couple of maybe a few weeks old, if not maybe a month old or so. Uh, April, tenth of April, it came out, so it's definitely planned now. But this is a a guide from FiveChicago.com about how to become a SoundCloud superstar. Uh, well, it's more about him tracing uh, one guy who was doing these practices. Basically, it's kind of about boosting your online profiles music kind of profiles on SoundCloud to try and get uh, basically make it look like you're bigger than you are and get you featured on certain music blogs and maybe kind of get more people to listen to your music and da 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 and it kind of goes through the process that this uh, pseudonymed guy called Louis went through to do that uh, which includes lots of uh, dodgy bot-like SoundCloud accounts and uh, um, fake plays and, and fake comments and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd say it's worth a listen. Um, seeing as, well, you know, we've only been going for about 10 minutes, maybe we should have a good discussion about this. Yeah, that's that, that was part of my part of my intention here. So it, it's interesting. He said the, the the article says that he paid forty five dollars for twenty thousand fake plays, and he also play, uh, paid f uh, forty euros for something else. I can't remember what it was. Oh, comments, isn't it, or something like that? Yeah, there was one. Well, there's one to basically build up your um, your comments or your followers, and then there's one to. Uh, basically do fake plays and the guy who wrote the article was like this art this this track which was like a deep house track was very mediocre it was like there was nothing particularly interesting about it yet somehow this guy's got 37,000 plays in one week and it's just <laughs> but but what I found interesting was the fact that because he'd managed to get so many plays so quickly he then his his track was then featured on a whole variety of places. Well, yes, and and That's I suppose that that might be an automatic process, I guess. Mm. Kind of like with YouTube, if you get a certain number of comments in a certain time frame after posting a video, then that kind of makes it eligible for featuring on the site somewhere or other. Well, that's what I heard back in 2010. And then a lot of the yeah. blogs will be just looking at what the featured tracks are, what's hot this week kind of thing, and reviewing that. But there might also be another 
I've been seeing all those. Things. They're really weird. Um, there might also be a, another automated process that uses the SoundCloud API that that kind of pulls the data in and sifts through it and says, ah, oh, this this track here seems to be really popular. Let's go and have a listen to that, and or let's let's just put that automatically feature it on our website. Um, there are a couple of sites that um, picked up on that, this, that kind of thing, yeah. That, that picked up on this track in particular. Mm. Um, they're both. Both of these sites are mentioned in the article. Um, so, if, if if I put my kind of, you know, I'm saying you can, obviously, obviously the article's linked to you from the show notes at, uh, at 5chicago.com, but is is there anything wrong with what's going on here? Because isn't this just the same as people, you know, paying record, you know, paying radio stations to play their kind of records and stuff like that. I don't see anything wrong. I think it's amazing that I think, you know, somebody has received money for generating those plays, which they would have done, you know, by pressing go on a script they wrote and how many other people are paying for it? Is that, you know, is that, is this a viable business somebody's found here? (laughs) Well, it's certainly entrepreneurial. An interesting part of the article was that it seems that SoundCloud doesn't have a very good system for taking these kinds of things down, like for dealing with what is effectively kind of fake or illegal plays, not illegal plays, but plays that aren't real plays and comments that aren't real comments. SoundCloud doesn't have a system to deal with that. How much do you get paid for 30,000 SoundCloud plays? Nothing. Oh, you mean by SoundCloud? I didn't think SoundCloud paid anybody. Yeah, they don't well, pay anybody, do they? It's so not it's like not really... YouTube plays where if if you've got um if you're making money on YouTube videos, so more plays would equal more income. It's not it's not like that at all. So, I know, but it's it, it's all about making it look like it's popular, mm-hmm. and that's what when I when I first read it at the beginning, that's the kind of the vibe I got from it was why why would you just listen to something that happened to have thirty thousand plays and decide that. That 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 you liked that song just because it had thirty thousand plays, irrespective of how good the track is, you know. I guess it's part of the whole. This, if you think there's loads of sites that you go visit and they have things like popular now or trending now, don't they? And they kind of self-sustain because it's like, oh, that's uh, that's trending. I should check that out. And you kind of press the button, and now you know. One more person is now watching it, and hence it goes up again, doesn't it? So I guess these things. Once you get to that point, it, they kind of self-sustain for a length of time, don't they? Yeah. In one of the early audio podcast shows, we had the dude from CC Hits describing their rating system, whereby the longer you are in the top ten, the less likely you are able to stay there, kind of thing. No. There yeah, is, that's uh, right. He had a system where it was every week you got a kind of penalty. An additional penalty added to, added to it because he said that it was, he, and he, he was actually a little bit ahead, I would suggest, because that was quite a few years ago, actually. I'm trying yeah. to work out what it was. But he, he pointed out that one of the big problems with the digital charts is that something that's been around for 20 years is going to outsell, in terms of pure sales, is obviously going to outsell anything that gets released that week. Whereas, you know what I mean? And they've obviously kind of said, oh, it sales this week now is how most of the charts are doing it. But still, it was a, I mean, that's an interesting. Well, yes, like a, a weighted handicap type system, but that's that's true. That's always been the way, hasn't it? And that's just the way. Uh, it's a way all the way through other loads of other things. Like you know, you win your team wins the football 
championship, you get more money. You get more money to spend on blah, blah, blah. Gives you a better chance of doing well the next season. So, you know, it's not surprising that things become stratified so easily in this kinds of context. Yeah. Anyway, that's a kind of a wider thing. I think with this... Uh, this fake SoundCloud type thing. The, the idea, it's not so much about money straight out because you don't get paid for um, SoundCloud plays. Um, I think, so there's not like fraud involved. I think it's about being noticed. That's the, well, I think it is about getting noticed, about getting your product above everyone else and you know, onto the blogs and into people's ears and these kinds of things. And um, I suppose the question is, you know, I mean, if your stuff is fairly mediocre, then you'd probably go and try and do that to try and get ahead of other people who basically make the same kind of thing as you. But if you made like, excellent music that was brilliant and could actually make it itself, you know, there you've got like... You know, it's like a quality thing, in a way. I don't really know what I'm saying. I'm hoping that one of you guys is going to come in and help me. I, was, I thought you might get to something more strong at the end of that, but it's... Well, I, I there's have... So much music. There's, yeah. It's just that there's so much music out there, and people, a lot of people, you know, you don't browse through stuff. How would you ever come across something that's only had five plays? You know, if someone might have made the most amazing piece of music in the world, but if only the 50 people who know them through other channels in the world listen to it, then it's just in a sea of, in, in this cloud of millions of other tracks. And, you know, mm. and, and, yeah. and I guess that comes back to that first article that we started with, to be with in the news with the BBC, the, the BBC kind of music industry failing, isn't it? Because it's, it's such a more demanding problem now. You've got, lots and lots of music out there more of it than you can possibly listen to being added all the time how do you disseminate the things that are valuable and promote them to another audience and maybe the point is that the days of kind of big mass kind of cultural hits are, are maybe over and instead it's going to be more about you know kind of small you know more small scale musical releases maybe i think there's still there'll still be hits of course and They'll be driven by like the uh, the X Factor type thing, you know. When you're tied into that type of promotional network, and you almost can't fail, mm. it's almost impossible to fail if you're actually keyed into such a uh, a widespread type of network. Yeah. But getting your head above water, you know. I, I, so here's a question for you, right? Say. Say your music was like slightly different and it was actually really cool and you thought that and you thought, well, maybe I should try one of these services because I actually feel like my stuff should be getting listens and I don't have the means to, to do that. Do you think that's right? Do you think that's wrong? I think that we're gonna that more and more people are going to be trying that and sooner or later people like SoundCloud will bring in measures against it. Um, yeah. So I think it's right or wrong. If we're going to link this back to the beginning thing, then the pop industry, is it right? Is it wrong? You know, never mind, is it failing or not? It is purely based on access to structures that are mostly economic. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, I think it's ingenious. I like that. I did think it was kind of a, you know, 
I thought it was a clever idea. Like I, I don't think of those things. I don't think, oh, I could pay somebody to give me twenty thousand plays, and you know, but it'd be kind of fun. It's a yeah. How about it's... a little bit of a little bit of audio podcast trivia, just as we come to the end of that item? Does anybody remember when the CC hits interview with John Spriggs happened? If you look, uh, I'm going to go episode four. For... Oh. Episode four. Sam, your guess. I'm guessing. Well, I'm now guessing that Adams looked it up, but I was no, going to say I, I didn't. didn't. Oh, okay, I didn't. I was, I'm guessing. I'm going to say five or six. Am I allowed to go for two? Episode three. three. <laughs> I I did look it up, and I've actually put a comment on the post on the story as well. So if you want to, you can go and listen to uh, the um, it's RECC uh, audio podcast episode three, which takes you back to the the classic audio podcast. No, then. I don't think that's the classic era. The classic era is a bit later than that. I think How, there's uh, there is nothing. There, that's episode three. There are only two later episodes. So oh, no, no, no. But that doesn't make something classic. Maybe there's it, two are, earlier episodes. Are, are, are dinosaurs classic? Because they're so old. I, I no. think episode three of the audio podcast is a classic. Is a classic there. No, it's a classic if it's a good episode that was actually like key and instrumental. <laughs> But, I mean, it was the first one where you had a, a dude in for interview, though, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't so, know. if that's the case, then it's classic in that respect. But, uh, anyway, we're, we're really fighting to talk about anything now that uh, we've gone through all the news and all the plunder. So, I think maybe we should do uh, a... Uh, it should end. Yeah, <laughs> we, we should do the outro, go down the water end. slide into the, uh, into the pool of water at the bottom. Fair enough. So th this has been the audio podcast episode 86, Notation is King. We'll be back next week, but don't forget in the interim, if you want to, you can find us on YouTube, uh, subscribe to us in iTunes, and say hello on Twitter if you want to, at the audio podcast. I've been Scott Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman. And I have and will continue to be Adam Yatch. Thank you very much.